0: Uh, we are coming back to the, to the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So if you have a Bible and you feel like turning to it, that would be wonderful. Um, and as you turn, I want to tell you about uh, this name I came across uh, this last week in my studies. After I turn this thing on. Okay, has anybody ever seen this man or heard of this man's name? It's Ferdinand de Mera. Nobody's acquainted with this name? Well, I think you might be interested in him once I share with you uh, what I want to share with you. They actually made a book and a movie about his life. um, And it it became pretty famous. Uh, But before all that happened, he started out as a normal kid. He went to school. But somehow during college years, he decided he was done with that. And so he, he ditched high school, never graduated, and he joined some monks. And he lived with them for a while. I'm not sure what happened. But then he decided he was going to join the Army. And then he joined the Navy. And he went AWOL from both of those, meaning he somehow got away from them without them even really noticing. And from that, that point on, I think his life gets really exciting. Um, he started taking on different aliases, and he started posing as a lot of different things. One thing he posed as was a college instructor. That's pretty good for a guy who never graduated high school, right? To be able to pose as a college instructor. He was a prison warden. And these are all things that he's just taking on this personality and this name, and he's trying to be these things, and he's succeeding. He was a law student, which getting into a law school is not an easy thing to do, especially for somebody who hasn't graduated. Um, He did a bunch of other things that I'm not going to try to list, but his most famous masquerade that he ever pulled off was he was a naval surgeon during the Korean War. he He was on a uh, destroyer, I think, for, uh, for the Royal Canadian Navy. And there he performed several surgical procedures. And the most famous one that he did was he operated on a guy who had a bullet near his heart. And he was able to look at a textbook, and he was able to go through all the steps and pull this, this bullet out of this, this guy's chest uh, near his heart. Well, due to that, he became pretty famous. And eventually he was found out to be what the book and the movie are both called, The Great Imposter. I thought about looking it up. I tried YouTubing to see if it would come up, and it didn't really, I didn't look real hard, but it sounds like a, an exciting book, an exciting movie to, to look at. So he's an imposter. What is an imposter? A, an imposter is a person who pretends to be something he's not in order to deceive others, which is obviously what this guy did. He says, hey, today I feel like being a college professor. I'm going to deceive everybody and become a college professor. I feel like being a naval surgeon, which that one he had to do a little bit more work on. He had to steal the credentials of a doctor in order to masquerade as a doctor himself, but he was able to fool people into thinking he was an imposter. And apparently, imposters uh, are everywhere. I mean, I bet there's lots of imposters out there in the world today that we just don't recognize because they do it such a good job. But there are also imposters in the church. And today we're going to look at what does an imposter look like? And the opposite which is what we are called to be, is an imitator, a person who copies the behavior or actions of another, all the while being themselves. So the imposter tries to make you think he is somebody else or something else, while an imitator is the person who says, yep, I'm Josh, but I'm trying to do what somebody else is doing. And as we look at imitators and imposters in the church, it's not so that I can say, boy, I don't know, Carol, she doesn't look like an imitator to me. And Oh, Sharon, she looks like us. She might be a phony. No. It's not so that we can look at each other and say, boy, you look like you're fake and you're real. It's so that you can look at yourself and determine, am I an imposter or am I an imitator? And so hopefully by the time this passage is done today, you'll be able to look and say, you know what, Josh? I am the real deal. Okay? (laughs) I'm the real deal. I almost put up the, the big hamburger real deal that Kathy sent me after a message we did a couple years ago. It was like, this is the real hamburger. Uh, and if you, weren't, if you don't remember that, I'm sorry, but I almost put that up just for Kathy. So we're going to be looking at imitators and imposters, but before we do, let's, let's ask God's blessing on this word. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you for your, your patience with us. God, you know we are not perfect. Uh, we, God, I just pray that you help us to be challenged and encouraged to be imitators and not imposters because it's really going to matter one day. God, I pray for, my, for you to give me the words to say um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would you speak through me to enunciate, to speak slowly, to speak clearly, God, so that your word comes out as you intended it. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live live in him must walk as Jesus did. So the first thing we're going to see today is those who know God obey God. You see that verse 3 right there. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now to know means to know. It means to perceive. It means to understand. Now to know God doesn't just mean we know a lot of facts about God. I mean, and there are a lot of people who do. They think they know God because they can list off his attributes and these are the miracles that he did and these are his teachings. I know God because I know all these things. You know, back in the days of Jesus, they had Pharisees and they had rabbis, but in order to be something like that, you had to do an awful lot of work. In order to be a Pharisee or a rabbi, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Some people don't even know what the first five books of the Bible are. This here is roughly the, old test, the the first five books of the Bible, and they had to memorize that. Anybody want to do that? No, but these guys did, and they learned more and more about what the law and what the prophets said, and they just crammed their heads full of knowledge so that they could teach it, so that they could know it, so that they could force other people to follow these rules and obey the law. And, and Jesus tells these people, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that by them you have eternal life. They're thinking, because I know all this stuff, because I'm teaching other people this stuff, because we're trying to obey these laws, we are going to heaven. But that's not obviously how you do it, but that's what these people were relying on. If they were, if they were really learning from the scriptures, they would see that the, the baby Jesus that was born in the New Testament was prophesied in the Old Testament and they would have recognized it but they were basing it off of what can I put into my brain. So to know God doesn't just mean I know facts about God. To know God doesn't mean I just do the kinds of things that God does. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Uh, Then he... I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, that to me is a pretty impressive list. I've never cast out a demon. Anybody here? I've never done a miracle. Those are some pretty awesome things that these people were able to do because God allowed them to do. But they're thinking they have this, they, they, they know God because they're able to do things. And God says, or Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. So what does it mean to know God? To know God means that we have a relationship with God. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. We're trying to do what it is that God is asking us to do because we love God. We're not just trying to get knowledge. We're not trying to do things. But because we have this love for God, we grow in knowledge and our actions start to live out it out in our life. And it's not the kind of thing where we're, we're looking at God and saying, boy, I'm afraid of getting zapped if I don't. We're not trying to earn things like I'm, I'm trying to get good enough in, in God's sight so that I can get to heaven. But it's like we've talked about in uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's looking at God as if he's your father and saying, you know what? I don't obey my dad because I'm afraid he's going to zap me if I don't. I do it because I love my dad. I do it because I want to please him. There's just something inside of me that says, I want to make him happy. And that's kind of a difference between an imitator and an impostor. The imposter is trying to fool people for something, but the imitator says, I love my Father in heaven, and I want to make him happy. Not everybody feels the same way. In churches today, all around the world, there are people who are imposters, and there are people who are imitators. Again, an imposter is a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive other people. Verse 4 says, The man... Who says I know him but does not do what he says uh, what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him Ferdinand tried to deceive people right he knew that if you walked up to uh, a college and said hey my name is Ferdinand de Mera and I'd like to teach in your school they wouldn't let him there's no way they would let him operate on somebody just because he says hey that looks like fun I bet I bet these hands are skilled I bet I can read a book and I bet I can do this they're not going to let him operate, right? College is, or Kev is going to college. He's not going to go walk up to some employment office and say, "Hey, look, hire me. I'm a smart kid. I'm just out of high school. I can do the job, right?" So uh, Ferdinand was trying to deceive people, and he did a very good job. He must have just put—he had a personality. He had some way to convince people, but he was trying to deceive people. You know, and, and a lot of churches today, I think there's a lot of people who are deceiving. Without even realizing it, because they they think um, that they think that they're saved. They think they have a relationship with God because they they raised their hand with somebody and wanted said, "Would you like to trust Jesus as your savior?" Or they might have come forward and said, "Hey, I'd like to pray a prayer." Or I got baptized. Do those things make us saved? Well, you, I know it's careful ground there because um, you you have to be yet you, you say something to God. But there's a lot of people who are convinced. I'm saved because I raised my hand. I'm saved because I said these magic words. I'm saved because I was baptized. Those are things that do not save you. By, by saying, uh, by filling my head with, with knowledge, by doing things, doesn't make me saved. Um, it's that relationship with God. And because I have that relationship with God, I trusted him truly as my Savior. I will learn to do the things he wants me to do, and I will do those things that he wants me to do. But it's not the things that we do. To give us salvation it's that trust and that faith in jesus alone for salvation and the person who says i know god but doesn't do what he commands he is a liar he's being deceitful he's not telling the truth he might be fooling you he might be fooling me he's fooling himself but he's not fooling god and when when it comes time to uh when we when that person dies and they get to heaven it's not going to matter how many other people thought this guy was saved it's going to matter what God thinks because, like in Matthew, it says, away from me, I never knew you. I can think, you can think that I'm saved. I can think that you're saved. I don't really know, and that's not the point. God knows, and you know, and that's, that's the important thing in making sure that we uh, truly know God. So there are imposters, people who are pretending. Sometimes they're on purposely trying to deceive other people, and sometimes they're accidentally deceiving other people. But there are also imitators. An imitator is a person who copies the behavior of another. It says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, there's a country song that you all know if you like country music. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I just want to talk about it for a minute. Uh, And it's called Watching You. Uh, there's a little boy and his dad that are driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the, re- the green light turns red. And then this, this little kid, they, have, they slam on the brakes, and this little kid's drink goes all over his lap. He loses his French fries. And what does my four-year-old say? A four-letter word. And I was concerned. And he says, where did you learn that? Well, I've been watching you, Dad. I want to be just like you. I'm your buckaroo. Isn't it great? Well, and the dad's like, eh. Eh. Kind of like oh i wish he didn't learn that from me but he's imitating he says this is he's not claiming to be dad but he's imitating like this is what my dad does this is cool my goal is to be just like my dad well later on that night there he turns on his little scooby-doo night light before he hops into bed he gets on his knees and he starts to pray and the dad's like where did you learn that he says i learned it from you dad i've been watching you isn't that cool i'm going to eat my veggies and grow big and tall like you are but you get the idea he's imitating He's watching his dad and wants to be exactly like his dad. Well, that's kind of the idea of here is being an imitator of Jesus. Where It says here in verse 6, must walk as Jesus did, as doing and saying the kinds of things that Jesus would do. Uh, your version might say abide as, as opposed to walk. It means to remain, to dwell, to continue, to endure. You get this idea this is a continuous walking motion that we were supposed to be doing if we're going to imitate Jesus. That means we need to love as Jesus loved. You know, Jesus gave up his life for his friends, which most hopefully you never have to physically give up your life for somebody, but you might have to sacrifice doing what you want in order to be with somebody, in order to help somebody. Uh, To care as Jesus cared. Jesus cared about the tax collectors and the sinners, all the dirty people, all the people that all the Pharisees says I'm getting, why is he hanging out with those people? Well, he says it's not the healthy who need a doctor; it's the sick. And so Jesus cared enough to go hang out with these people. Uh, Jesus, if we're going to imitate Jesus, we're going to serve as Jesus served. Now, I know this is very embarrassing for a lot of people to have someone wash your feet, but Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He says, "I did this for you. Now do it for other people." If anybody wants to wash my feet, I will let you. <laughs> I am not embarrassed. Obviously, you're not going to come up here and wash my feet, but you understand the idea. Willing to do the lowest thing for somebody else is what Jesus did. And if I'm going to imitate Jesus, I'm going to be willing to do that for somebody else. And when we do that, it says that God's love is made complete. It's made perfect. It's finished. It's fulfilled. Now, God already did his part. God demonstrates, already demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He already showed us that he loved us. Now what is our job, or what is our opportunity now? It's to go the reverse. It's to show Jesus that we love him. In John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus has already shown his love for us, and that our love is perfected. when we, we finish that, right? We come back together and we show our love for him as well and if we love a little guess how much we're going to obey a little if we're going to love a lot we're going to obey a lot in our obedience we're showing god that we truly love him and we're going to do what he wants us to do that we are really an imitator of jesus and not an imposter of an imitator of jesus we may not be able to tell the difference but god does So if we know God, we will obey God. Okay, the second thing we're going to look at is the command we are to obey. I'm supposed to obey God. What is it that I'm supposed to do? Verses 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Does that sound confusing to anybody? It's an old command, it's a new command, it's not a new command. What is going on here? What is this that you're talking about, John? Well, the command is pretty simple. If we look at um, verse 10, it says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. This command is that we are supposed to love our brothers. Uh, The Old Testament, real quickly here, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That is in the Old Testament. It has been there for a very long time. All those people of that day knew that. All the good Jewish boys and girls knew that's what they were supposed to do. In the New Testament, you find it written here, Luke 10.27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself so it's old because it's always been there it's new because it's being there's like a new freshness to it um, you know you guys ever buy a pack you, you buy a Pepsi or you buy um, cookies or you buy something and it's the exact same flavor but it's a new packaging right it's the same great flavor new packaging they're, they're trying to catch your attention but it's the same thing inside this love that Jesus is or that John is talking about, is the same love. But you have a, a new understanding of You have a better picture of what this tr- love truly looked like because Jesus demonstrated it. He got on the cross. He died to pay for their sins so that they could have eternal life. They say, oh, I get it a little bit more. Instead of being some Old Testament law I have to follow, I see it demonstrated, and now I want to do it. So it was old, but it is new, and it's new because... It, Jesus demonstrated to make this a more clear, a more obvious picture of it. And what does this love look like? Well, here's what we read in our scripture reading. Love is patient. It, it is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. This is quite a list of things to demonstrate love. This is really a hard list to follow. Um, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if you can follow that list, I think you're an amazing person. And I don't know if anybody can do this perfectly, but that is our goal, to do these things. And I know that it's not always easy to do these kinds of things. But if uh, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. This is something that I don't have to feel, ooh, gushi, I love my wife and my kids and I want to be patient with them. I can be madder than a wet hornet at them, but still show patience and kindness to them because I'm, it's a choice. Just don't ask, ask me to do that to my dog, okay? I, I don't show <laughs> love to my dog the same way as I would do to people, but it's a choice that I'm supposed to do. This is a great example of what does love look like. If we had more time, we would develop each of these out just a smidge so that we could have a little bit better idea, but I didn't want to take the time to do that. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7. So, if you know God, you will obey God. And if and this command that we are called to obey is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's all summed up in that. That's what Jesus said. All the law and the prophets all come down to this. If I'm going to love my, my neighbor, I'm not going to think, wish hateful thoughts towards them. I'm not going to be happy when they screw up in life. Um, if, I, if I love my Neighbor, I'm not going to be boasting about, look what I have. Look what I got, Jason. Look, look what I can do, because that's not going to make him feel good, right? Everything comes down to how do I love God and how do I love people? That's, that's what this book is for. It's not a great big list rule book, and I know it's a killjoy for a lot of people. I mean, this is a thick book. It's heavy, and all I see is rules. I go to church, and great, I get another rule. No, this is actually what's best for you in your life, if you follow what does Jesus say, a lot of it is a picture of how does it look like in order to do those kinds of things. Uh, anyway, so we are called to love each other, and we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And the way that we handle this command reveals what we are, if I'm really an impostor or if I'm really an imitator." Verses nine through 11. It says, "Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where is going because the darkness has blinded him. So the imposter, the person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, is going to say, I love God. But that person's going to turn around, and they're going to hate their brother. And this hate is a really strong word. I have to admit, I have used this word before. I've used it towards people. I never said, I hate you, but I've thought it in my mind, boy, I sure hate so-and-so, and and I hate this, and I hate that. Uh, And the the kind of hate that we're talking about is not the occasional outburst of anger, that, oops, I I said I hate somebody, which I really didn't mean it, but I was just so overwhelmed by emotion, it's just the worst thing I could do at that point. But this is, uh, it's not an occasional one uh, attitude, but it's or it's not an occasional outburst of anger, but it's more of an attitude that becomes a habit where every time I see somebody, every time I think about somebody, my blood, my blood boils. And I, all I can think is negative and hateful things towards that person. That's, that's the kind of hate that we've got to be really, really careful about because if we say that we hate God, or that we, that we love God and we hate other people, uh, then we are we're deceiving ourselves. And the Bible has a lot to say about hate, and some of it comes from... We have three from First John here. Uh, the first one is First John 3:15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. If I hate Caleb <laughs> because he's, I'm not going to have many, many more days to, to point out his name, and I, I hate him, uh, God sees that as murder. That's a pretty big crime that God's going to look at me at. If all I can do is think hateful and mean and wishing he was dead and all these sort of terrible thoughts, God's going to look at me as if I killed him. Obviously, I'm not going to get a death sentence. He would not even know unless I just told him, which actually I really like, Caleb. But nobody would know if, if it didn't come out in my actions. But if I hate somebody, God considers it murder. First John 4.20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You're lying if you say I love God but you hate somebody else. Because if you can't love your brother or sister that you can see, how can you love God whom you cannot see? And when he's talking about brothers, uh, even in this passage that I already looked at a, a few minutes ago, um, he's, he's talking about, mainly, about brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, uh, I, I don't know if in this church or whoever he's writing to, there are people he's specifically thinking of, but one of the saddest things that you can find in a church is people who hate each other. I, won't, I can't stand that person. I don't like that person. I'm not going to be around that person. Why? Why? What did they ever do to you? I realize it's not always easy to forgive, but if you you stop and think, what did God forgive me of, right? And if I can't turn around and forgive you or somebody else for something that they've done that I call a brother and sister in Christ, that is one of the saddest things that you can possibly ever have, I believe. Um, So if we say we love our brothers and sisters in Christ and we don't, we're a murderer, we're a liar. Uh, 1 John 2.11 says, but anyone who hates a brother or sister in the, is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness is binding him. Now, this idea of darkness has two possible meanings, okay? So, one is the, the bad meaning or the worst meaning, and that is that I'm not saved at all. There are, that could possibly be this case. If I'm walking around hating somebody and I, I just can't ever let go of whatever it is that they've done to me, uh, then... I'm walking around in darkness and possibly I'm not even saved at all. Okay, that's one possible meaning. Uh, The other one is that I am not walking in the light. Obviously, not walking in the light. I'm not loving the Lord. I'm not doing, uh, I'm not in a right relationship with the Lord if I am, if I'm walking in darkness by hating somebody. I'm not going to lose my salvation because it's a relationship. It's the Father and the Son. We have a a relationship that I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I became part of His family. But all of a sudden, when I start hating other people, my fellowship with God isn't there anymore. There is something between me and God. And, and some people want to just, you know, be happy with their hate. They want to never do anything about it and, and call it good. Uh, but I want to go back to 1 Corinthians. I, didn't, I don't think I put this up there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And these are the verses that come before showing love verses. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I can wow people with my speech. I can, I can give a magnificent, I can have a beautiful voice. But if I don't show love, it means nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I don't have love, if I have the faith that can move mountains, if I, if I give up my body to be, to be martyred, to, to, uh, even in the flames, if I don't have love, what does that matter? absolutely nothing. So if, you, if you're running around thinking, I hate somebody and God, I'm just going to ignore this, God doesn't ignore this. He says, I know you got something between you and whoever that person is, uh, and so everything else that I'm doing, the praise songs that I'm singing to the Lord, don't count. The, th- the acts of service, the money that I give, if I'm not loving my brother, those things mean absolutely nothing to God. So what do I do? If I, if I feel like I'm struggling with hatred or anger towards somebody and I don't feel like I can let it go? Well, I wanna give you some advice, uh, the things that I've picked up over time as I have struggled with disliking people and not liking people and almost hating people uh, because I'm human too and I struggle with people and I've, I feel like these are proven things. These will actually work. I put these into practice. I feel a lot better. I don't feel that way towards other people like I should. So the first thing that we can do is to try to make it right with them. If, if I have somebody against something, against somebody, my job is to go and make it right. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. You've got to be the person, I hate my wife, I've got to be the person who goes to my wife and says, Look, this is what you did. This is what's bothering me. Can you stop doing that? And, and can we work on this together? So if you have an issue with somebody, go to them. And if you have an issue with me, Come to me. I will not bite your head off, I promise. I won't like it, but I don't think anybody will. Uh, but the first thing you've got to do is to let it go. I mean, I'm sorry, is to make it right with them. The second thing is to forgive them. Ephesians 4.13 talks about, letting, about forgiving. Ephesians 4.32, uh, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Uh, you guys you guys know the song, let it go, let it go, can't hold me back anymore. Okay, I know it's a popular song. I want to get it into your brain if you're struggling to forgive somebody because that's the idea. Yes, I still have this frustration, but I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to dwell on this anymore, and I have had to do that. Uh, we talked about forgiveness a couple weeks ago. It was the same word that the fishermen used when they... Or there was used of the fishermen's. They they when they let their nets go, they didn't drag them with them, they let them go. That's the same way the forgiveness. Is I'm just not going to dwell on it anymore. When I see that person, I'm not going to think about those things. I'm just going to say, Yep, that happened. God forgave me. I'm going to forgive them. Another thing you can do is to pray for them. Ooh, that's a tough one. I hate this person, and you want me to pray for them. But it's true. Matthew 5. Verses 43 to 45, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. People are getting persecuted for their faith. And Jesus is saying, hey, you pray for those people. While somebody slanders my name or somebody does something harmful to me, I should do the same thing. I should pray for them. I might be praying that they see the error of their ways. I might be praying that they stop doing what they're doing. But I can be praying that God would bless them. And when you're praying for somebody else, you see them in a different light than you saw before. Instead of just dwelling on how much they annoy me, if I start asking God to bless them, I see them differently. So start to pray for them. Try to make it right with them. Forgive them. Pray for them. And encourage them. Romans chapter, this is really tough, isn't this? You're just, I just made your life a whole lot harder if you're dealing with hate. Uh, with somebody, but this is what we're called to do. Romans 12, 14. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Yeah, bless and do not curse. Uh, Paul was telling them, someone's persecuting you, you're supposed to turn around and bless them. You know, a lot of times, the person who hates is, in the, is the person who suffers the most. Um, I, I've, I've, I know that uh, I've had somebody hate me and I've tried to make it right with them, and and they are the most bitter person that I've ever met in my life. And they hate that person, and they hate this thing, and they hate, and all they want to do is talk bad about everybody and about everything. And they just, they're miserable to be around. They're miserable in themselves, and they just, the person who, and and me, I'm like, oh yeah. When I see them, like, oh yeah, you don't like me. But the rest of the time, I don't even think about it. So the person who is hating somebody is a person who is suffering the most. By reminding themselves, what did this person do? And it just, it just is no good. So the best thing you can do if you're feeling like you hate somebody is to follow these qualities. And, and okay, so that's, that's what you can do if you hate somebody. The imposter says, I love somebody, but I hate them. The, oops, the imitator says, I'm going to love my brother and sister in Christ, whether I like them or not. In spite of what they have done or what kind of person that they are, they say, that's how Jesus loved me. I was a stinking, rotten, ugly sinner when Jesus loved me. I had, there's nothing in me that was good to make him say, boy, I just think someday you're going to be a preacher, Josh, and that's, I'm going to take a chance on you. He says, no, you're about as bad as you can get. I'm going to love you anyway. And that's what we are called to do for each other. In spite of what the person has done to us, in spite of what they've done to each other, we are supposed to imitate uh, God's love for us as we, as we try to show that to other people. So back to Ferdinand, he was an imposter, he fooled a lot of people, and he did a good job. And you know what, some people would even appreciate it, you know, the guy with a bullet in his heart, or near his heart, probably appreciated that this guy was willing to do it. I don't know if there was not another doctor around or not, but he did a good job. But did that make him a surgeon? No. He was an he was being an imposter, he was doing the kinds of things that a surgeon did, but he was not a surgeon. You can, you can fool lots of people in this life by posing as something that you're really not. Uh, but when it comes, and it may not matter, but when it comes to your relationship with God, you can be an imposter. Uh, and it does matter. Because God knows whether you're, you're really genuine or whether you're, you're not. The, the knowledge that we have, that the things that we do, are not to try to earn favor with God, not to try to please God, not to try to have a relationship with God until... We have put our faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Then I'm going to want to know what God's word says. Then I'm going to try to do what God is asking me to do. So if you're sitting there and thinking, I'm an imitator, Josh, Um, I could have told you that and walked out the door right off the bat. Good. I'm glad. I hope everybody's an imitator. Keep it up. Become more like Jesus. I mean, make it. Jesus is always showing his love. Get more and more loving Jesus and become more like him every day. And if you're an imposter, it's time to quit being an imposter. You might have fooled a lot of people for a long time, but you haven't fooled God. So um, I'm just going to give whoever's watching the opportunity to pray and say, you know what, God? I've been an imposter. I don't want to be an imposter any longer. I want to be an imitator and genuinely follow you, trusting you as my Savior. And so I'm just going to close with prayer, and then we'll, we'll sing our closing song. Dear God, Um, I've been an imposter. I've been someone who's trying to play the part and look the part. um, And I I just want to quit faking it, God. I know you look at me and see me for what I really am. And God, I want to be an imitator of you now. I want to love you uh, as the real deal. I want to obey you because you did such great things for me, and I want to, um, to love you back. Please, God, save me from the punishment that I deserve for my sins. I'm trusting you to be my Savior and to give me eternal life. And help me, God, to live for you from now on. Because it's not easy always to do the right thing, God. And God, I, just, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everybody who's here. And I pray that you'd help us all to be imitators of you and to imitate you more and more so that people can't tell the difference between us and you. Uh, so there's not a big change when we get to heaven. God, there's just a one little tweak you've got to make when we finally get to see you face to face. And I pray this in Jesus' name.